Welcome to the Real Truth Matters podcast. I'm Dan Harder, your host. The RTM podcast is all about showing you how to live in biblical spirituality, demonstrating where the Bible and real life intersect. And now, here's Real Truth Matters founder and director, Michael Durham. Well, welcome back to this episode 30. It's hard to believe that we're past the six-month anniversary of this podcast, and we so appreciate those of you who tune in regularly. As we continue to talk about communion with God, I want to discuss with you the value of using the Bible as a prayer book. If you remember in episode 27, I shared candidly of my struggles years ago with prayer. I thought prayer was to be this wonderful, amazing dialogue between God and me, and it was supposed to be so thrilling. But my prayer life was nothing like that. And after years of reading books on prayer, listening to sermons on prayer, I have to confess to you I became very discouraged. Prayer had become legalistic and very boring. I maintained prayer. I kept praying because that's the thing you're supposed to do. Prayer was a duty. But to say the least, I didn't enjoy it. I remember distinctly one day after trying to pray, breaking down and just simply weeping before the Lord. I asked for his help. I specifically asked if he would teach me how to pray. I poured my heart out telling him that I thought prayer was supposed to be this conversation between the two of us, but I was doing all the talking. I don't know how else to explain what happened next, except to tell you what actually happened. I was immediately struck with the thought that I had misunderstood prayer. Prayer was me expressing myself to the Lord and that the Word of God is God telling me what I need to hear and know. The Bible was the revelation of His heart to me. This all came upon my mind suddenly. And therefore, from that day until now, I seldom pray without an open Bible before me. I thought if the Bible is God speaking to me, then I need to engage the Lord about what He is saying. So, I began to pray the Scriptures and interact with them as if I were interacting with the person. And the glorious fact is, I am interacting with the person, the person who happens to be my Father and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Very shortly after this new realization and awareness about prayer, I came across a book I had desired for years but could not attain because it was out of print. I had the small, abridged version of it, and I had looked desperately to try to find it, whether it be online or used bookstores, but I never could. It was the full, unabridged journal of George Mueller. I have spoken several times on this podcast about Mr. Mueller. The Lord has used this man to be a mentor and inspiration to me. Anyone who knows God in a very real and intimate way is someone I want to get to know. And Mr. Mueller was that kind of man. Just to help you to get to know Mueller, let me tell you a little bit more about him. He was born in 1805 in the Kingdom of Prussia, which is now part of present-day Germany. According to Mueller, from his early teen life until his conversion at age 20, he was a liar, a thief, and a blasphemer. At the age of 16, he was arrested and incarcerated for stealing. But time spent in jail did not lead to a change of ways. Mueller continued his 
profligate living until a backslidden friend invited him to a Saturday night prayer meeting that was attended by sincere believers. And he was deeply affected by what he witnessed as believers sang, read scripture, and prayed. Mueller testified that the prayer meeting was a turning point in his life. He said, when we walked home, I said to Beta, all we have seen on our journey to Switzerland and all our former pleasures are as nothing in comparison with this evening. Whether I fell on my knees when I returned home, I do not remember, but this I know, that I lay peacefully and happy in my bed. This shows that the Lord may begin His work in different ways, for I have not the least doubt that on that evening He began a work of grace in me. Though I obtained joy without any deep sorrow of heart and with scarcely any knowledge, but that evening was the turning point in my life. End of quote. How great was the change? Well, Mr. Mueller wrote years later in his autobiography, quote, Now my life became very different, though not so that my sins were all given up at once. My wicked companions were given up. The going to taverns was discontinued. The habitual practice of telling falsehoods were, was no longer indulged in, but still, few times more I spoke an untruth. I now no longer lived habitually in sin, though I was still often overcome, and sometimes even by open sins, though far less frequently than before, and not without sorrow of heart. I read the scriptures, prayed often, loved the brethren, went to church from right motives, and stood on the side of Christ, though laughed at by my fellow students. End of quote. From that time forward, George Mueller grew in his newfound faith. He strongly desired to be a missionary. But the Lord and His kind providence prevented this from happening. He went to London at the age of 24 and labored for a few years, and it wasn't until he was 29 that he felt led to go to Bristol, England, where he ended up joining a friend, Henry Craik, as co-pastor of two churches, Gideon and Bethesda Chapels. It was there that Mueller became convinced that he should live in a way that should display to the world that God is both good and faithful, so he decided to tell no one his needs but simply trust in the Lord through prayer. He also was convicted that he should not take a salary from the church, and so he put a small box in the church, and if anyone wanted to contribute to the Mueller's needs, they could do so by putting funds in the box. And this became a lifelong commitment that led to seeing one miraculous provision after another. In 1834, Mr. Mueller started the Scripture Knowledge Institution for Home and Abroad. The stated purpose of the ministry was to help support Christian schools, missionaries, and the distribution of Bibles. But its most famous work was the building of an orphanage that over the 60-plus years Mueller directed it, over 10,000 orphans were cared for. The entire ministry accomplished incredible productivity. According to J. Gilchrist Lawson in his work, Deeper Experiences of Famous Christians, the Scripture Knowledge Institution, quote, obtained and dispersed no less than a sum of 1,500,000 pounds at the time of Mr. Mueller's death. That would be a 
equivalent to U.S. currency of $7.5 million. The bulk of this was expended for the orphanage. At the time of Mr. Mueller's death, 122,000 persons had been taught in the schools supported by these funds, and about 282,000 Bibles and 1.5 million testaments had been distributed by means of the same fund. Also, 112 million religious books, pamphlets, and tracts had been circulated. Missionaries had been aided in all parts of the world, end of quote. Now, what's incredible about all of this is that all of this was accomplished without asking anyone for help, without borrowing any money. It was all a testament to faith in the Lord alone. One of the most famous stories of God's miraculous provision for George Mueller is when at breakfast time there was nothing to feed the orphans. Mueller instructed that the children should be seated at the tables just as normal. And he prayed a very simple prayer. Dear Father, we thank Thee for what Thou art going to give us to eat. That's all he said. And almost immediately, a knock at the door was heard. It was a baker with a load of freshly baked bread. He said to the simple man of faith, Mr. Mueller, I couldn't sleep last night. Somehow I felt you didn't have enough bread for breakfast, and the Lord wanted me to send you some. So I got up at 2 a.m. and baked some fresh bread and have brought it. Mueller thanked the man, and no sooner had he left when another knock came to the door. This time it was the milkman, whose milk wagon had broken down in front of the orphanage. He asked Mr. Mueller if he could donate the milk to the children so that it wouldn't go to waste. Well, that day, those children had breakfast. As you can see, this was truly a man of faith. He knew God in a very intimate way. Now that you're better acquainted with what kind of man George Mueller was, let me continue my story of how I came to learn how to use my Bible as a book of prayer. As I said, I'd always wanted the unabridged version of Mueller's autobiography, but it had been out of print for many years. Up to that time, all you could purchase was this very small and heavily abridged paperback version. However, about the time I was discovering praying through the Scripture, a dear friend of mine republished Mueller's full-length autobiography. I finally had it. You thought I had discovered gold. And in this unabridged version, I learned and found many principles of the life of faith. As I was reading one day, I came across a section of the book on the importance of constantly being happy in the Lord. That's how Mueller put it, getting my soul happy in the Lord. In this section, Mueller explained how he had learned what I was currently learning about how to read the Bible and pray the Scriptures. If you don't mind, I'd like to share with you from that very section of Mueller's autobiography. So I hope that you can keep your attention and listen to this very strategic text. Mueller said, quote, I saw more clearly than ever that the first great and primary business to which I ought to attend every day was to have my soul happy in the Lord. The first thing to be concerned about was not how much I might serve the Lord, how I might glorify the Lord, 
but how I might get my soul into a happy state and how my inner man might be nourished. For I might seek to set the truth before the unconverted. I might seek to benefit believers. I might seek to relieve the distress. I might in other ways seek to behave myself as it becomes a child of God in this world. And yet, not being happy in the Lord and not being nourished and strengthened in my inner man day by day, all this might not be attended to in a right spirit. Before this time, my practice had been, at least for ten years previously, as an habitual thing. Let me interject right here that Mueller is simply saying that for ten years, the first ten years of his Christian life, he had maintained prayer and the reading of God's Word, but he hadn't always done it with the success of getting his soul happy in the Lord. Mueller continues, Now I saw that the most important thing I had to do was to give myself to the reading of the Word of God and to meditation on it, that thus my heart might be comforted, encouraged, warned, reproved, instructed, and that thus while meditating my heart might be brought into experimental communion with the Lord. I began, therefore, to meditate on the New Testament from the beginning Early in the morning, the first thing I did after having asked in a few words the Lord's blessing upon His precious Word was to begin to meditate on the Word of God, searching, as it were, into every verse to get blessing out of it, not for the sake of public ministry of the Word, not for the sake of preaching on what I had meditated upon, but for the sake of obtaining food for my own soul. The result I have found to be almost invariably this, that after a very few minutes, my soul has been led to confession or to thanksgiving or to intercession or to supplication, so that though I did not, as it were, give myself to prayer, but to meditation, yet it turned almost immediately more or less into prayer. When thus I have been for a while making confession or intercession or supplication or have given thanks, I go on to the next words or verse, turning all as I go on into prayer for myself or others, as the word may lead to it, but still continually keeping before me that food for my own soul as the object of my meditation. The result is this, that there is always a good deal of confession, thanksgiving, supplication, or intercession mingled with my meditation, and that my inner man almost invariably is even sensibly nourished and strengthened, and that by breakfast time, with rare exceptions, I am in a peaceful, if not happy state of heart. Thus also the Lord is pleased to communicate unto me that which very soon after I have found to become food for other believers, though it was not for the sake of public ministry of the word that I gave myself to meditation, but for the profit of my own inner man. The difference then between my former practice and my present one is this. Formerly, when I rose, I began to pray as soon as possible, and generally spent all my time till breakfast in prayer, or almost all the time. 
At all events, I almost invariably began with prayer, except when I felt my soul to be more than usually barren, in which case I read the Word of God for food or for refreshment or for a revival and renewal of my inner man before I gave myself to prayer. But what was the result? I often spent a quarter of an hour, a half an hour, or even an hour on my knees before being conscious to myself of having derived comfort, encouragement, humbling of soul, etc. And often, after having suffered much from wandering of mind for the first ten minutes, or quarter of an hour, or even half an hour, I only then began really to pray. I scarcely ever suffer now in this way. For my heart being nourished by the truth, being brought into experimental fellowship with God, I speak to my father and to my friend, vile though I am and unworthy of it, about the things that he has brought before me in his precious word. End of quote. I hope you can see that reading this was a huge confirmation that I was on the right track. I've discovered the book of Psalms is truly one of the best books to use to practice this praying the Scripture. The Psalms are prayers which were put to music, but they were prayers before they were ever songs. Now, one of the benefits I've discovered praying this way is that it lends itself to meditation of Scripture. As you're praying, you're made to think about what you are praying, and this leads to drinking deep from the text. Now, this is opposite of what Mueller discovered. He meditated in order to fuel his praying. I began praying the scriptures, and it leads to meditation. You ponder how this verse can be an expression of not just your heart to God, but also God's heart to you. And that's what we're after. You don't move to the next verse until you've exhausted all that you can see and pray. Another benefit is that your prayer life stays fresh. Instead of praying the same prayers each day, the Bible dictates what you pray. And I have found that my requests before doing this were basically the same from day to day. But when I began to pray the scriptures, my prayer life was energized by the fact that I had so much more to converse with the Lord about and hear His heart concerning those things as well. And so I was delivered from the boredom or the routineness of prayer, praying the same thing every day. Another advantage quickly discovered was that my time in prayer increased. It didn't take long to pray about those same requests each day. After that, I would run out of things to pray about. You know what I'm talking about? Have you experienced that? But having the Bible as a prayer book means I always have something to pray. I never run out of things to say. And as Mueller said, I have found it to be true as well. Many of the things I need to be praying for are always found in the scriptures read that day. Surely, this is the evidence of God's providence. Well, let me give you yet another reward or benefit to pray in the Scriptures, and that is this. My mind is less prone to wander. Now, I still have to combat it, especially when meditating on the text, but it's much less than praying without the Scriptures. And let me give you one more great blessing from praying through the Bible, and especially the Psalms. It reinforces a God-centered focus rather than 
a self-centered focus. You see, I'm naturally bent to think about me, and you are naturally bent to think of yourself. The Bible guides the mind and heart to think of the Lord, to see Him, to taste and to see that He's good, and that leads to adoration. I've discovered so much more of my prayer time is praise and adoration than it is petitioning. And I think this is all due to praying the Bible, because praying the Bible gives me a God-centered focus. And also with time, as you pray through the Word of God, will God become so much more your attention? It's like the mind and heart are being trained by the Holy Spirit using the Word to think deeply about the Lord. Let me give you a brief example of what I'm talking about. Let's take the famous 23rd Psalm, and let me demonstrate what praying the Psalms looks like, or praying any scripture would look like. Now, I'm not going to go through the entire Psalm. Just I'll just use the first three verses. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Well, prayer would begin something like this. Lord, you are my shepherd. And because you are my shepherd, I need nothing. You are a good shepherd. You care deeply about me, and you have ministered all of my needs. I am so full and content because of your goodness. And then I would continue to worship and praise as my heart is led to worship and praise, focusing on God's shepherding of me. Verse 2. It says, he makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. Now here in verse 2, this is where studying intellectually benefits our studying experientially. In other words, if you remember in a previous podcast, we said there's two ways to read the Bible. One is to read it intellectually. Secondly, to read it experientially, meaning to experience the reality of what you're reading. And in studying intellectually, I've discovered many years ago that a sheep does not lie down in the pasture until he is completely satisfied. After he is completely full, he then lies down and he chews the cud and enjoys his satisfaction. Knowing that, now I can pray like this, Lord, you satisfy me completely. You cause me to be at peace. Nothing I need you've not supplied. You meet all of my needs according to your riches and glory, just like you promised. You said, if I seek your kingdom and righteousness, all these other things should be added unto me. Thank you, Lord, for how you meet and care and satisfy my soul. And you lead me into the places of peace, still waters, Not treacherous waters, not dangerous waters, still waters, calm waters. Lord, you are my peace and my comfort. Oh, I bless you and thank you. Then I would come to verse 3. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Lord, restore my soul. I need to experience your love in a much deeper way. I, I need to be more like Jesus, and only you can do this in my life. Thank you for how you keep me, how you cause my inner man to grow day by day. Oh, thank you for leading me in paths of righteousness. And Lord, the decisions that have to be made this day, I look to you to direct me. 
You promised you would lead me, that you would guide me if I commit my way to you. And you will do it for your name's sake. Lord, I want to glorify you. I want your name to be known, not mine. Well, I I hope you can see this is the way you pray the scriptures. You take the text after you've pondered and meditated and drank deeply from it, and then you just express that to God. It should trigger your own heart's response to what God has said in his word to you. It's amazing at times as you read the words of a verse of scripture, realizing that this is the Lord God revealing his very thoughts about you to you. It's what I think the Lord intended as he inspired men to write the Bible. Well, before I end today, let me recommend a resource that will be very helpful to you. It's a book titled Praying the Bible by Don Whitney. This small book is an easy read, but it does an excellent job in explaining a method you can use to pray the scriptures. Whitney goes into greater detail than we can hear in this one podcast. Well, our time is almost gone. But I hope this has been a help as you pursue the Lord in greater intimacy. The Lord Jesus holds out before us the same hope that he gave Abraham. I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. You and I have a wonderful promise that if we seek the Lord with all of our hearts, we shall find him. And we shall find him our exceedingly great reward. Well, if you have any questions about this or previous podcasts, just send us an email to web at realtruthmatters.com. That's web at realtruthmatters.com. And if you haven't yet, check out all of our resources at our website at realtruthmatters.com. We so appreciate your prayers and support. It's just wonderful in my travels to meet some of you who listen to this podcast. Your kind words about how this podcast has encouraged you and helped you is encouraging and a help to me. On behalf of all of us here at Real Truth Matters Ministries, I want to thank you for tuning in. And may the Lord richly bless you with His love in a real and tangible way. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Real Truth Matters podcast. I hope you can see that Christianity is profoundly experiential but always based on the objective truth of Scripture. If you have questions or comments, please send them to our email address, web at realtruthmatters.com. That's web at realtruthmatters.com. Real Truth Matters podcast, dedicated to biblical spirituality, demonstrating where the Bible and real life intersect.